Father, we just come to your word today with open ears and open hearts to hear what you would teach us. One of the most important precepts in the Bible is what we're going to be looking at today, Lord, about resting in Jesus Christ. And Lord, it's, it's, it seems so simple and yet it's so profound uh, that we can rest totally in you, in the finished work of, of the cross of Jesus Christ and uh, in his resurrection and in the new life that he gives us. And Lord, there's just so many things that come at us that say, say differently, that, that there's something else we have to do in order to, to be at rest with you. And so in these next few lessons, in the next couple of weeks, Lord, I ask that, that uh, you, if our hearts are hard, these truths, that you soften our hearts, that you open our ears, and that you teach us by the power of your Holy Spirit all that you would teach us here uh, in these great few chapters that we're going to be looking at. And so I just ask that uh, you do that. Uh, uh, for us, Lord, and we ask that in the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, it's in his precious name that I pray. Amen. Jim Reapsom, in his book, Homemade, writes about a study they did in San Francisco of teenage prostitutes. And, uh, boy, that woke everybody up. Uh, <laughs> during the interviews, the prostitutes were asked a series of questions, but there was one question they asked them all, and this was a question. They said, is there anything you needed most and yet couldn't get? And invariably, their response was the same. It went something like this. What I needed most was someone to listen to me. Someone who cared enough to listen to me. You know, I think that's what we all want, isn't it? Somebody that will somebody listen to us. Somebody that cares enough to listen to us. I believe that's what God wants from all of us. He's looking for people who care enough to listen to him. People who will take the time to listen to him. Because it's through listening that we stay attuned to the heart of God. It's through listening that we know his ways. It's through listening that we believe. And it's through listening that we come to a place where we can rest in him. It's through listening that we learn to love him. That's the only way we can learn to love him, is if we're willing to listen to him. Well, last week in the book of Hebrews, we finished up in verse number 6, and we looked at this conditional clause in chapter number 3, verse number 6, and you get that if there. That's what makes it a subjunctive and it makes it a conditional clause. And it says, if we hold, we are, we are the house of God, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. In other words, we are truly born again if we hold fast to the hope that we have in Jesus Christ firm to the end. But he adds something there that makes it really difficult. He says we have to hang on and we have to be rejoicing when we hang on. When we finish the race, we've got to be rejoicing. We've got to rejoice during the race and we've got to be rejoicing when it's all over. Is that something we can drum up in our hearts? No. That comes from really resting in Jesus Christ. He wasn't saying here, now, now here's where we looked at the condition, and I'm not going to go through this again, but, but he wasn't saying here that, that Unless you hold fast, uh, in other words, you must hold fast in order to be saved. What he was saying is that if you are a part of the house of God, 
you will hold fast till the end and you will hold fast rejoicing because if you're truly resting in what Christ has done for you, hey, that's not a burden. It's something to shout about. It's something to rejoice about. So what's this hope that he's talking about? What's this hope that, that we're to hang on to? Well, on Wednesday night, we were looking in the book of Colossians, and we're told what that hope is. What's that hope? Christ in you, your hope of glory. He's our hope. I mean, he's our salvation. He's our sanctification. He's our glorification. He's all of those things. And, and, we're, and, and, and so we're to rest in that hope. And again, I, as I said earlier, it's, it, it sounds pretty, pretty easy, but it's really profound, this idea of resting in Jesus Christ. And what we're going to see in these next few lessons in Hebrews is just how important this is. And, 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 and we're not saved, and we're not going to endure, unless we fully rest in Jesus Christ. That's the only way you can have confidence and be rejoicing uh, in the hope of Jesus Christ firm to the end. And it's so critical to your salvation and your sanctification and your glorification that you better be listening. That's the exhortation that the author of Hebrews is going to give us over and over again in this text. I mean, you better be listening. Let's go to verse number 7 where we left off last time. And listen, we get right away, we get a therefore. He said, therefore, since this is so important, you better be listening. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says. Now, what he's going to do in these next few verses He's going to quote from Psalm 95, verses 7 through 11, or a quote from Psalm 95. And so he says, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, who wrote the Psalms? David wrote most of them. The sons of Korah wrote some. Some other people wrote some others. But who really was speaking in the Psalms? It's the Holy Spirit. You see this inspiration of Scripture right here that we get in that first part of verse number 7? He says, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says in Psalms 95, and listen to what he says. He says, you better be listening. Today, if you will hear his voice. In other words, you better listen. This is something you'd better hear. And then listen to what he says in verses 8 and 9. He says, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. When he says the rebellion, what's he talking about here? Is he talking about the, the rebellion? What was the, what was the thing that well, you could go back to the Garden of Eden Garden of Eden, and there was a rebellion there, wasn't there? That's where it all began, wasn't it? But then the people of God were created through Abraham, the nation of Israel, and they rebelled. And what, when did their main rebellion take place? I mean, they were rebellious their, their whole history. They're still rebellious. We're all rebellious. But he's talking about the rebellion in the wilderness. The rebellion when they didn't go into the promised land. He says, in the day of the trial in the wilderness where your fathers during the exodus tested me and they tried me and they saw my works for how long? For 40 years. For 40 years they tested the Lord. You know what the opposite of a rejoicing heart is? The opposite? A hard heart. You want to measure your heart? It's 
how you walk through this world. Are you walking through this world rejoicing? Are you walking through this world, world untrusting and bitter, murmuring and complaining? If that's the case, you've got a hard heart. And so he says, listen, listen. I mean, do you care enough to listen? He says, do not harden your heart as in the rebellion in the day of trial in the wilderness where your fathers tested me and tried me. You know what makes a hard heart? You know how our hearts get hard? Because we don't care enough to listen to the Lord. You know, the Bible over and over again says, take heed to the word of the Lord. Take heed to the word of the Lord. Open your ears and listen to the word of the Lord. Well, pastor, God doesn't speak to me. Oh, friends, he speaks to all of us. He's speaking to you right here in this text today. He spoke to you through these 66 books he wrote we call the Bible. He speaks through history. He speaks through providence. He speaks through the still small voice of his Holy Spirit. He's speaking to us all the time. The question isn't, is God speaking? The question is, do we care enough to listen? I mean, look at these Jews. They had a big problem in the wilderness. They didn't care enough to listen to God, even though God was right in their midst. Two million people crossed the Red Sea during the Exodus. They saw the Red Sea's part, and they saw the glory of God, and they saw Pharaoh's armies covered in water and, and defeated, and they went to the other side of the Red Sea, and you know what they did? They praised God all day long. They sang songs, and they praised God, and, and man, they could hear God at that moment. And then they got thirsty, and there wasn't much water, and they were running out of water, and so they began to complain against God. Fifteen days after the Exodus, they got hungry. And they began to play, complain against God again. And listen to what they said. Oh, that we had died in the land of Egypt when we were all had it so good. They had forgotten about the slavery. When we, when we sat by the pots of meat and when we ate bread to our full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill us all. Fifteen days after seeing the glory of God, listen to what they say. You brought us out here to kill us all. How did God answer that request? Well, he should have sent down fire and brimstone. That's what they deserved. But how did he answer it? He gave them manna. Manna from heaven, this perfectly heavenly food. And you know what? He was shouting out to them. He was saying, I love you. I care for you. I'm going to feed you. Trust me. I'm going to take care of you. But they didn't listen. They started running out of water again and listen to what they said. Why is it that you have brought us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? I mean, you ever feel sometimes like you're living in a wilderness? I mean, that things really are going really, really bad spiritually. I'm talking about a spiritual wilderness. I think to some degree we all live in a wilderness in this lost and dying world. But you ever feel like you're living in a spiritual wilderness? Well, let me tell you the way you can be sure to stay there. Murmur and complain against God. 
I mean, forget all of his benefits and, and just murmur and complain against him and, and you'll get to stay there just as long as you keep complaining. He'll let you stay there just as long as it takes. In the third month after they had crossed the Red Sea, you remember what happened? They came to Mount Sinai and the glory of the Lord encompassed that entire mountain and, and what a wonderful sight that had to be. I mean, the glory of God right in their midst. At the same time, that had to be a pretty terrifying sight too, didn't it? But you know what God was saying to them? He was saying, I'm with you. I love you. But I want you, you're my people. But I want you to be a holy people like me. But that's impossible. You can't do it. But that's what I want you to be. And so Moses went up on Mount Sinai and the Lord told him about the law and he came down and told the people about the law. And what did the people say? All that you have said, we will do. So Moses says, good deal, I'll go up and tell the Lord that. So he goes up to tell the Lord. And what happens while he's up there telling the Lord? They built a golden calf. Now Aaron said he threw the gold in there and out popped this calf, but the Bible tells us that they made it with their hands. But, and, and so out pops this calf. Moses comes down. He's got the Ten Commandments written by the very finger of God. I love you, God was saying. I love you, I've given you my law because I love you, not to, not to condemn you, but because I love you, because I want you to be holy like me. But I'm going to give you the sacrificial system too because I know you're going to fail. But he comes down with the Ten Commandments and they've already broken every one of them at that point. And so what does God do? He gives them the sacrificial system. And he was saying to them through the sacrificial system, you can't keep the law but I'm gracious and compassionate and full of mercy to those who will hear me. If you'll listen to me, hey, it's going to be all right. And so they continued on their, on their journey and they were led by the, by the glory of God. Can you imagine that? Every morning getting up in the glory of God, the Shekinah of glory of God being right there in your midst. And when the glory would move, they would move. And when the glory would stop, they would stop. But they always had God in their in their, in, their, in their presence. And, they, and, and so God was saying to them, I love you, I'm going to be with you, trust me. And then came the big test. They came to the wilderness of Paran, just south of the promised land, and they were ready to go in. They weren't ready to go in, but God was ready for them to go in. And what did the Lord say to them? Trust me, go into the land of milk and honey, and all you have to do is rest in me and trust in me, and I'll take care of the rest. But they didn't trust the Lord, did they? And so they told Moses, Moses, we want you, we don't really trust the Lord, we want you to send some spies into the land and, and, and let them check the land out before we go into the promised land. So they were doubting God by asking Moses to do that. There were 12 spies. I've got a $100 bill in my pocket if you can name all 12 spies. How many can name all 12 spies? No, you can't cheat. I don't have a $100 bill in my pocket anyway. <laughs> How many of you can name two spies? Raise your hand if you can name Now, come on, everybody raise your hand even if you, even if you can't name them. Joshua and Caleb. What a great lesson you know fame is a fleeting thing but not for people who trust the Lord not for the people who truly trust the Lord and rest in the Lord their name will be great one day 
No, not like the name above all names, but their name will be great. Those who truly trust in the Lord might not see it now. But those are truly the great people. Those are truly people that endure, rejoicing in their hope. Guys like Caleb and Joshua. But those other ten, they went into the land, and we don't know their names. You can look back in uh, the book of Numbers, and, and you can check their names if you want to learn them for the next time you get this trick question. But those ten went in, and they saw the spies, and they said, we're like grasshoppers in there. They brought back this report, and they said, we're like grasshoppers in their sight. They're, they're going to kill us. They're going to destroy us. And you know what they did? The whole nation, all two million of them, went back to their tents that night, and they wept all night. They were right there at the promised land. And they should have been excited. We're going in. But they went back to their tents, and they wept all night, and listened to what they said. If only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if we had died in the wilderness. Why has the Lord brought us into this land to fall by the sword that our wives and children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? And so they said, let us select a leader and return to Egypt. We've had it with this God. We don't trust this God. We don't believe this God. We're not going to rest in this God, and we're going to go back to Egypt. Egypt is a type of the world. And I don't know how many times there's that temptation for us as born-again believers to say, man, I've had it with this Christian life. I've had it with this. I've had it. You know, this isn't turned out the way I thought it was going to turn out. I'm going back to the world. I'm going to go back to the world. And you don't endure, and the reason you don't endure is because you never were born again. But God wouldn't let them return to Egypt, would he? He says, no. In fact, he was going to destroy every one of them. And Moses pleaded and interceded and said, wipe my name out of the book of life, but save these people. The Lord said, I'm going to spare them, but they're all going to die in the wilderness. They're never going into the promised land. And what did they do when they heard that news? They wept all night again. And then they got up the next morning, and they didn't listen to God. They didn't care to listen to God, and so they said, we're going to go in on our own. And they went in on their own, and they were soundly defeated. And then they wandered in the wilderness after that for 40 years. And out of the 2 million Jews that went into the wilderness, guess how many came out? You can name them. Two. Caleb and Joshua, that's it. Moses didn't even make it in. Out of 2 million, two of them went in. There is a dire warning in that illustration. God is not in the numbers. He's looking for people who care enough to listen to him. And if you don't care enough to listen to him, if this whole nation doesn't care enough to listen to him, this whole nation will go down the tubes. If this whole world doesn't care enough to listen to him, this whole world will go down the tubes. Only those who care enough to listen to him are going to make it in. Only those who care enough to listen and rest totally in him and trust him and rejoice to the end are going to make it in. Friends, there's no surety that any of us will make it in if we're not born again. You realize that God could be perfectly happy for eternity if, not, if none of us made it in? Two million Jews died in the wilderness. Two made it in. So much for a great revival. 
two made it in. Jesus said, wide is the road that leads to destruction. And many go that path. But narrow is the path that leads to salvation, and few find it. Micros is the Greek word from which we get microscope. How many found it out of the nation of Israel? Two. 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 Go to verses 10 and 11 now. He says, he says Therefore, I was angry with that generation. And I said, they always go astray in their heart because they don't care to listen to me. And they have not known my ways. Why do they not know his ways? Because they don't listen to his ways. And so I swore, man, in my wrath. Now that's the God of the Old Testament. The God of the New Testament would never swear that about you and me, would he? Oh, you better, it's the same God yesterday, today, and tomorrow. You mess with God long enough, and I'll tell you right now, he'll swear in his wrath that you'll never enter his rest. He wishes that none should perish. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But there comes a point where you reject God and you refuse to listen to God. And there comes a point where he will swear in his wrath that they will not enter my rest. When God has had enough of our rebellion and he realizes that we're going to close our ears, you know what happens? What happened to Pharaoh? Pharaoh kept hardening his heart towards God and he hardened his heart toward God. And then what happened? God hardened his heart. And that's exactly what happened to these two million Jews. They had closed ears and so they had hard hearts. And there comes a time when you have your heart gets so hard that he draws a line in the sand and it becomes irreversible. And there's no going back. You know, it's one thing to out and out hate God. There's a lot of people just out and out hate God. But it's another thing to care less about what God has to say. Where do we hear from God the most? Where do we hear from him the most? In his word. Now, you know, I, I, I've had some supernatural experiences, and I've had some, some not audible words from God, but some real supernatural words from God about personal things in my life, and I'm sure most of you have. But most of the time, if I want, you know when I get to praying, God, give me a word, give me a word, he says, get your Bible out. Read your Bible. You don't think I've given you a word? I mean, read the Bible. You're looking for an experience. You're not wanting to hear from me if that's all you're looking for is an experience. And we live in a society where that's what church has become. It's become all about an experience. Nobody wants to hear from God. And God has spoken to us through his word. And what happened to them can happen to us. I mean, listen, he, now he's going he's to turn from the Israelites and he's going to turn to these Jews uh, these Hebrews, and listen to what he says to them in verse number 12. He says, beware. In other words, this can happen to you. Now, you think maybe he's saying that to us today? Beware, brethren. 
Now, it's interesting he uses brethren here. He used holy brethren back in verse number one. And I think the difference here is in verse number, in verse number one of chapter three, he was speaking to the church. In verse number 12, he's speaking to his Jewish brethren who called themselves Christians. But he says, brethren, Jewish brethren. He still calls them brethren. Beware, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. See, that's exactly what they were doing. They were departing from the living God. How were they departing from the living God? Remember in our introduction, what were they doing? They were going back to their Judaism. They were going back to their religion. Instead of sticking to the living God where you find hope and rejoicing, they were going back to dead religion where there is no hope. The, the, the law never offered any hope for them. All the law did was condemn them. And they were going back to these things. And so he says, beware, brethren, lest there be an evil heart. In other words, you call yourself a Christian, let you, let, and yet you have an evil heart. What's an evil heart? An evil heart is a hard heart. It's a heart that, ref, that refuses to listen to God. It's an unbelieving heart. Faith, how do you get belief? Faith, Romans 10, 17, faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. If you want to hear God and you want to have faith and you want to have a believing heart, then you have to get into the word of God. And so he says, beware lest you have an evil heart. I mean, you, these guys were calling themselves Christians. The Jews who died in the wilderness, two million of them thought they were the people of God. And only two of them made it out. And he says, brethren, Beware lest you, you think you're on God's side and yet you're at enmity with God. You're alienated from God. You have an evil heart. That's what it means to have an evil heart. You're alienated from God and you're at enmity with God. And the evidence of an evil heart is that you depart the living God and chase after your religion or chase after the world. It's a heart of unbelief. You don't really trust the Lord enough to rest totally in him. Look at the next few verses. He says, but exhort one another daily. Why it is called today before it's too late. Exhort one another today. Don't wait around. Lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness. Now watch this. Of what? Sin. Singular, one sin, that you get hardened through this one sin. What's this one sin? I can tell you the root of it, it's not listening to God. You listen to everything in the world and we don't listen to God and then, and then we, our hearts get hardened towards God. And we can get really religious in the process, but we depart from the living God. And so he says, today, pay, take heed to the word of the Lord. Today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of the sin. And that sin, as we're going to see, is unbelief. Verse number 13, for we have become partakers of Christ. Uh-oh. If, there's that condition again. If we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. Same thing he said in verse 6. If we hold fast the confidence, and he adds rejoicing in verse 6, of the hope firm to the end. Use some common sense here when you interpret this, though. If you know anything about verb tenses, 
this is real easy to interpret. We have become. What kind of tense is that? Is that future tense? Is that say we will become? We have become if we hold fast to the end, to our hope to the end. So what's he saying? You are a Christian if, you're, if you make it to the end, holding fast, rejoicing in the hope. You've become a Christian already if you hang fast, rejoicing to the end, hanging on to your hope. You don't get saved by hanging on to your hope and holding fast. You're saved if you hang on and hold fast. You see the difference there? We have become. If it was a future condition, this is what I call a first-class condition. We looked at it last week. If you don't fully understand it, grab the tape from last week and listen to it. But it's a condition that presumes to be true. It's, it presumes the assumption to be true. In other words, you are a Christian. He, he's talking to the church, but there's some in the church who aren't saved. We have become part of the family God if we endure. You, you never were part of the family of God if you don't endure. With rejoicing. And that rejoicing part kind of nails me sometimes. You know, because I murmur and complain along the way. I know none of y'all do that. But as a pastor, I have to confess my sins, and I do murmur and complain along the way. But you know what you're going to learn right here? It's not murmuring and complaining that sends you to hell. It's not the murmuring and complaining. The murmuring and complaining is a sign that you're not rejoicing. And if you're doing it all the time, then it might be a sign you've never been born again. But it's sometimes when we're pushed to the end, I think all of us murmur and complain. If you can raise your hand and say, I will never murmur and complain no matter what the Lord does to me, I'll want to see you the next day because he'll test you on that. He can push us all to the point where we say, I wish I died in Egypt. But it's not the murmuring and complaining that gets us. It's the unbelief. Listen to what he says. He says, for we have become takers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. And then in verse 15, he repeats this warning. Now, you know, a while ago when I was going through the, the history of Israel, I mean, we've done that more than once in here, hadn't we, those of you that have been here a while. Why in the world do we rehearse that over and over and over again? You know why? Because the Bible does. You know why the Bible does? Because we're in the same danger as the Israelites were. We're in the same danger of living our life in a wilderness when God wants us in the promised land. I believe there are a lot of Christians who are, will, who are Christians or will be Christians who are living in a wilderness. And God doesn't want us living in a wilderness. He wants us to rest in Christ and go over to the promised land. And so he warns us again. And, and by warning us again, he's saying, hey, this doesn't just apply to the Jew. It doesn't just apply to, to the Hebrew in, in the first century or the Jew in the in the, in the time of Moses in 1500 B.C., it applies to you people in the 21st century. Listen to what he says. Today, today, March the what, 21st, 2015, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. It can happen to you too. For who having heard rebelled, indeed was it not all who came out of Egypt, led by Moses, who rebelled, all but two? You could pretty much say all. For whom was he angry 40 years? They had to do the math. Who was he angry with 40 years? Two million less two. 
That's who he was angry with. Was it not with those who sin? And that sin is one sin. Whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And whom, verse number 18, and whom did he swear that they would not enter the rest but to those who did not obey? What did they not obey? Did they not obey the Ten Commandments? No, they didn't obey the Ten Commandments. But that wasn't the issue. Did they not obey the Mosaic Law? No, they didn't obey the Mosaic Law. But that wasn't the issue. Were they immoral? Yes. Rebellious? Yes. Murmuring and complaining? Yes. I mean, these were very sinful people. And you can understand, they, they had lived in a pagan Egypt for, for hundreds of years before God took them over in, into the wilderness, crossed the Red Sea. But that wasn't what got them. He says, he says so we see, look first, number 19, so we see that they could not enter in because of one word unbelief unbelief man that's that's pretty simple unbelief that's the biggie unbelief you remember when Jesus was doing all of those great miracles and the people were all excited and they were, could see the kingdom of heaven on the horizon and they came to Jesus and they said, oh, Jesus, what must we do to do the works of God? And he says, this is the work, singular, of God that you believe on me, on the one whom God has sent. This is the work. That's the belief. You realize we're going to see in verse number four that these people had the gospel preached to them? These two million Jews that died in the wilderness, they had the gospel preached to them? You know how they had the gospel preached to them? Because Jesus was there. They had the law. They understood they couldn't keep the law. They had the sacrificial system and understood that they, something else had to pay for their sins other than because they weren't going to keep it. They had the gospel preached to them, and they fell, but they didn't believe. They kept trusting in themselves, and they wouldn't trust in God. And so they could not enter in because of unbelief. That's the big sin. Man, that's the big sin that will get you in any area of your life is unbelief. It will get you in your salvation. You'll never get saved if you don't really believe. You'll never get sanctified in this life if you don't really believe. And if you don't get saved and you don't get sanctified, you're not going to get glorified. It's all about believing. And when, when the word belief there, it doesn't mean assenting or believing in a few facts. It's the opposite of the word that Jesus used in John 3, 16, when he says, for God so loved the world that whosoever believes, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have, have everlasting life. It's the opposite of that word believe in John 3, 16. Let me ask you this. Does believing in a historical Jesus, in a set of facts about Jesus, believing that he died on a cross, does that get you saved? No. It does not get you saved. That word believe really should say trust. You have to put your entire trust in that cross in order to be saved. You have to rest in that cross in order to be saved. 
And I think, how many of you in this room believe that? Raise your hand. Yeah, that's a good one to raise your hand. You all believe that. But here's where our problem comes in. We don't, we rest there, but we don't rest the rest of the way. See, he doesn't want us just to rest in the salvation. He wants to rest in Christ for our sanctification. Do you know what that means? When I'm nasty, every, one, every rare time that happens. <laughs> when I get really nasty and mean and act like an unsaved heathen, you know what? I can suck it up and try to change that, but you know what I have to say? Lord, you know me. You've got to change me. You're the only one that can change that nasty spirit I have. I can't do it on my own. I have to believe in the Lord. See, the problem with these Jews were they had assented to the facts about Jesus. They believed he died on a cross, but they hadn't fully put their trust in Jesus Christ. That was the problem with the Hebrews. I mean, they thought there had to be something more. They thought, well, you've got to be circumcised. You can't, just, you, know, you, can't just, you can't just put your trust in Jesus Christ. You've got to be circumcised. It's, 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 it's the cross plus circumcision. Or you've got to, uh, you know, after your, 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 all your sins are paid for by the cross, but, but when you sin after that, you've got to go to the temple and go to, the, to make sacrifices for your future sins. And you've got you to worship in the temple to be saved. You've got to keep the law in order to be saved. That's every Jew believed that. You got to keep the law in order to be saved. What did Paul have, that greatest Jew of all, what did he have to say about that? Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to those who believe. But they couldn't believe that. And so they were dying in a spiritual wilderness. And they weren't going to make it in because they had an evil heart of unbelief. Are you listening? I mean, are you listening? See, there are many people today who call themselves Christians and they're in danger of the same fate. Oh, yeah, Christ died for my sins, but, but you got to be baptized in order to be saved. It's, salva it's the cross plus baptism. Oh, well, in order to get rid of my sins, once, once, I, once I'm saved, Christ washes away all my sins. But in order to get rid of my sins, I've got to confess my sins because my confession helps take away my sins. Friends, your confession doesn't take away anything. The blood of Christ cleanses us from what? All unrighteousness. All past, present, future. It's been wiped away and you've got to rest in that. Yeah, I confess my sins. When the Holy Spirit says, George, you shouldn't go into a rage like that, I say, you're right, Lord. That's confessing my sins, but I don't wash away what I did. The cross washes away what I did. There's people who say you got to worship on Saturday in order to be saved. You got to be part of our denomination in order to be saved. You got to speak in tongues in order to be saved. You got a name. I had a guy tell me, man, you don't use the name Jesus. If you don't use the name Yeshua, you're not really saved. I mean, I've had people tell me, if you put a Christmas tree up, you're not saved. If you, put, if you say the word, that nasty word, Easter, oh, man, you're not saved. Happy Easter, by the way, it's coming up soon. <laughs> if you don't go to, when you die, you got to go to purgatory 
to wash away the rest of your sins because Christ didn't do enough on the cross. Friends, whenever you adopted anything like that, you're adding to the work of the cross and you're trampling on the blood of Jesus Christ and you're not listening and you're hardening your heart towards God and you're departing from the living God for religion and that will send you straight to hell. There's one word for all of that stuff and it's unbelief. And it's more spiritually deadly than blasphemy it's more spiritually deadly than drug addiction, adultery, murder, covetousness, and even homosexuality. Unbelief is more, you know, we all want to preach against homosexuality like that's the only sin because we don't do it. But unbelief is the sin that will get you to hell, not homosexuality. It's a sure ticket to hell. You know what the Lord wants from us? He wants us to believe and trust in him and rest in the work that Jesus Christ did on the cross. And he does the rest. We rest and he does the rest. He'll sanctify us. He'll take care of our addictions. When he's ready. You know, sometimes he leaves us some, some things we hang on to because you know what those things do? They remind us of just how wicked we are and you know where they take me? Right back to the foot of the cross. If he made us all perfect when he saved us, like some people claim he does, you know what we would do? We would do like those people do. We would get very prideful in ourselves. Look at me. I'm not like those other Christians. I live a perfect life. Nobody lives a perfect life. Come on. Who are you kidding? He'll take care of our immorality. He'll take care of our blasphemies. And he will fill us with his glory and with his righteousness. The righteousness of God. Can you get any better than that? No. You know, do you care enough to listen? Do you really care enough to listen? Because that's how we show our love to Jesus Christ. Today, if you will hear his voice and not harden your hearts to his truth, he's going to give you rest and peace like you've never known before. And you'll come out of the wilderness and he'll take you in to his promised land of spiritual blessings. If you're living in a wilderness, I'm telling you how to get out. You just fully trust in him and believe in him and watch what he does. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your word and what you teach us and for the glory of the cross and what Jesus Christ has done for us. For the power of your Holy Spirit that sanctifies us and glorifies us and saves us. Father, help us. It, it seems such a simple truth. But help us to grasp it on a practical plane, Lord. That we can fully rest and trust in you for everything. And Lord, when we do that, we come out of the wilderness and into the promised land.
That's where we want to live this life, Lord. We don't want to die and our bones scattered in the wilderness. We want to die close to you. Not departing from the living God, but living close to the living God. Not religious, but in a relationship. Lord, we can do that if we'll fully rest in you. I thank you for that opportunity. I thank you for that truth. It's only true through Jesus Christ, our Savior. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen.